Hello and welcome to episode 283 of the Ram Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. I'm Angel. I'm Kevin. And you may have noticed I did not say final episode. Uh, last time we were all together, we ended with the note that this episode, like this one right here, uh, was going to be the last using the Ram Nintendo format that you all know and hopefully love. But uh, Nintendo threw a little wrench in that. So, psych, we're doing... Two more good old random Nintendos, uh, today's and then the real actual big finale next time, rain or shine, Nintendo Direct or not, uh, which is kind of the thing with this episode. We were anticipating to end with a Nintendo Direct, but instead we got a smattering of Switch news from everyone but. There was Summer Game Fest, uh, Devolver Digital, the Xbox conference with some actual relevant news to Switch, um, the Final Fantasy Celebration, the Wholesome Direct. It was a lot of not Nintendo Directs. How did you guys fare through it all? Did you watch all of it, most of it, any of it? I basically didn't watch any of it until, like, yesterday <laughs> or the day before yesterday. <laughs> like, yeah, just too busy to really yeah, pay any attention to it. And, and I mean, and I guess on top of the fact that yeah, not. I normally don't really watch any of those other conferences. Like normally, if I watch any, it's going to be just Nintendo's. Right. So, yeah, even if Summer Game Fest is like, I guess not necessarily just a Nintendo. You know, it's like a all conference conference. But mm-hmm. yeah, um, the only thing I caught briefly, just like by looking over like people's shoulder, was just the Ninja Turtle trailer and the Guile reveal. But yeah, otherwise. Not really something I was going to be paying attention to. What about you, Kevin? You're you you are more of a multi-platform guy. Did you watch any of the stuff? I watched some of the stuff, not all of it, just some of it. That's right. Yeah, I feel like for me, even though I only own the Switch, uh, I was like, I don't know if I was just like pining for like anything that resembled E3, but I like got up early for Xbox for no real reason. Did like you know. Had the Final Fantasy one in the background, even though I thought it would have nothing to do with Nintendo, even though it kind of did in the end. Um, yeah, I was, I was really going for most of them. Admittedly though, Angel, to your point, was many hours of people just talking into cameras and just gameplay trailers. Um, but the nice thing is, our current format of Ram Nintendo is kind of like optimized for this. Like we almost, you know, every episode are threading a needle that brings together a whole hodgepodge of Nintendo news, often random Nintendo news, if you will. So, um, that's kind of what we collectively are doing for this episode. If there's no Nintendo Direct, well, we'll do it ourselves. Hence, our episode's titled DIY Direct. So basically, we, as Angel alluded to, went through all the presentations. We plucked out the Switch games that seemed noteworthy in some way, big or small, along with some we're surprised maybe aren't on Switch or we'd just love to check out and hopefully come to Switch or, or maybe only on other platforms. And, um, yeah, we're just going to kind of go through them. And like any good Nintendo Direct, we're grouping each segment, uh, you know, like every segment, every presentation uh is gonna have like a little dumb quippy teasy little headline thing um yeah and if there's any new specific news or games you're interested in we also just you could just turn to normal timestamps as always on the blog post for us at ramtown.com but this um high level i guess like these kind of like segments with quippy titles or kind of give it a little more of a direct like structure so um yeah are you guys psyched or what to do this here we go um Actually, before, the audience, right? Uh, not I don't. I don't know. Are you guys psyched or what? You tell me. You, Angel. <laughs> yeah, that, that answers it, I guess. 
silence. Um, I do think actually one aspect of this that's just a weird thing we gotta point out maybe is the fact that Wait, we're what? even do what? I don't know, nothing. You're good. Oh, okay. Uh, but yeah, I just say the weird thing we gotta kind of point out is the fact that we're even doing like a DIY direct instead of just covering a real one, like ignoring 2020 and peak pandemic. I don't think there's been a what was E3 week, be it in mid-June or previously mid-May back in the day, that Nintendo just, like, blew off like this. Like, the second week of either month was always, always the big direct or presentation of the year for them. And I, I get it. If there's no greater good they're syncing up with the presentations of others for, like, you know, if there's no industry-wide spectacle they're signing up to be a part of, you don't really need it day and date, I guess. Um, and it does allow for Mario Strikers Battle League, you know, back on the 10th and Mar- uh, Mario Fire Emblem Warriors uh, Three Hopes next week on the 24th. Like those now get a little more marketing shine and won't be as overshadowed. Um, and even sales wise, like they really don't need this. I mean, just to do a mini Jason sales corner for again to the good stuff. Um, demand PD numbers came out this past Tuesday and Switch is still number one selling hardware. Eight of the top 20 games are Nintendo first party. Switch Sports actually went up the chart in its second month to number four on the top 20. Kirby's holding on number six for the second month, third month, which is crazy legs for that game. Um, and there's deeper numbers. If you, if you want to look at the full chart, we'll link to it on the blog post. But my point is Nintendo's fine. Like they can afford to shuffle around expectations even to our own chagrin. Um, what I found kind of funny though is that the spirit of the direct of getting new Nintendo first party news at its designated time, it seems to have a mind of its own. Like, it doesn't care if Nintendo didn't want to undercut Fire Emblem Warriors with, say, news of another Fire Emblem game. Because that happened anyway. Did you guys see this? There was probably the biggest, quote-unquote, leak Nintendo's ever really had. Like, actual screenshots. Um, Are you aware no, this was brewing? Not. But, I mean, I guess I'm glad it's a series I don't really follow. Don't care about. <laughs> yeah. It's something that I'm like, oh, no, I wish that didn't get revealed. It's like, oh, they're working on Fire Emblem? Like, oh, my goodness. That's unfortunate. Yeah, it, it was interesting because it was like this weird, unusual... It's a theory, I'm sure. <laughs> but uh, I know, I can think of at least one or two listeners who are like, how dare you? Because I know they're big Fire Emblem people. But but yeah, the, this leak was weird because it was basically like this one-two punch of a leak of what is going to be the next Fire Emblem game. So first we got like the typical thing from the rumor mill, you know, descriptions of a new game from those quote-unquote in the know. Uh, here it was Emily Rogers, and she described the supposedly already complete new entry. It's being co-developed by Intelligent Systems, Koei Tecmo, and a subsidiary of Koei Tecmo's parent company that I've never heard of named uh, Gust. Uh, but Googling around a bit, apparently Gust, they um, primarily do the Atelier, or Atelier, or however you say it, series, for those who know those games. So there's some of that DNA in this new Fire Emblem. Anyway, the idea here is it's a new story, uh, but one that was originally designed to celebrate last year's 30th anniversary of Fire Emblem. So there's this new mechanic called Emblems that will let you summon characters from past games to join your team. That's kind of the gimmick. And all that's reasonable enough. That's not a leak we haven't seen. Like, that's typical stuff. But then, like, literally the next day, screenshots, actual screenshots of what looked to be a Chinese localization of the game, presumably one that's in progress, uh, those leaked and pretty much confirmed everything Emily Rogers said. I mean, she referenced the main character that had red and blue hair, kind of like split, and lo and behold, there was that hair in the screenshots. And all the diehard Fire Emblem folks have already observed that the character models appear to be entirely new, meaning it's very likely not a Photoshop job with three houses or anything like that. So 
with all signs points as perhaps being a legit leak, it left me kind of with two thoughts I wanted to share, which is why I'm bringing it up here. I think first, um, I find it interesting that this is just another example of how Nintendo is now bringing back uh, their mobile experiences to the core gamers. Like, all their mobile games were spin-offs initially, right? But so far, the four biggest have all directly influenced the mainline games back on the dedicated gaming devices. Which which makes sense. You want to, you know, convert casual phone players into something more, so you build that bridge between the two. But, like, seriously, Animal Crossing Pocket Camp introduced crafting. That became a huge centerpiece of New Horizons. Pokemon Go introduced raids. Those became a big multiplayer aspect of Sword and Shield, and presumably Scarlet and Violet's taking that one step further but with the uh, co-op stuff. Mario Kart Tour, probably the most one-to-one by bringing over the tour tracks to Mario Kart 8 with the current Booster Course DLC. Um, and now here's Fire Emblem Heroes' entire summoning mechanic and how it brings together the whole franchise. They pulled it out of the gotcha system, placed it into a traditional Fire Emblem experience. So it's just interesting that for all this talk of how many of Nintendo's mobile games are maybe not performing as well or, or as they could perform or whatever, the influence of those games on some of Nintendo's absolute biggest properties is really strong. And it seems to just keep going. So it's going to be interesting to see how this all works with whatever the Fire Emblem game turns into. I think it'll be interesting to see what other mobile experiences Nintendo rolls out in the future and if those influence their related properties. Um, but for me, though, this the at least at this level with Fire Emblem. I've come to realize that I think Fire Emblem, for me, is Pokemon for you, Angel. Like, I think I still have some Fire Emblem burnout from playing so many so close together, because this will be the 18th Fire Emblem that they've released. And granted, I didn't play all 18. It didn't even come to the States till the 2000s, but that's a lot of Fire Emblems. Where do you guys... I mean, Angel, you kind of already answered it. You're over Fire Emblem, it sounds like. But, Kevin, are you... Do you really play Fire Emblem at all? Oh, yeah. I played... Uh, like... Fire Emblem Awakening was like one of my favorite 3DS games of all time. Uh, oh, how did I never know this about you? <laughs> yeah, I, I loved Fire Emblem Awakening. And then Three Houses came out, and I was like, okay, I can't wait to play that, and just never got around to it. I think that's what made me think you didn't really. Yeah, because I don't remember playing Three Houses. So would a game that is referencing all the other Fire Emblem games be of interest to you if you're you know that vested? I mean, it'll be, inter- uh, it'll be of interest to me, but that I just have no time for a game like Fire Emblem nowadays. Yeah, it's 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 a meaty game. And it's interesting how it's like become going from Awakening where, you know, it was barely that was the last chance for it to do well in America to now being one of Nintendo's most frequently released franchises. It's it's quite a turnaround. It's such a meaty game too each time. Um But yeah, so I I I, I did say there were two thoughts I had. Um I had a second thought about the Fire Emblem League Two, and that's just the sheer irony of Nintendo trying to sh- uh, sidestep any overshadow of Warriors next week, only to have the leak happen anyway. Um, and what's funny, and I know I said that kind of before, what's funny about that is there are actually two entirely independent leaks about two entirely different games that at one point could have both been destined for the Direct that we didn't get. Um, the other game, I think, is one we're not going to see anytime soon, but it's interesting. It's, it They were developing a sequel, and still are, potentially, a sequel to 1-2 Switch. Do you guys see this going around? It was, again, weird, a weird amount of leakage from Nintendo, so to speak. Like, pretty in-depth. Didn't hear anything about a 1-2 Switch, but I would hope if they do a sequel that they actually 
learn from the first one and make all those necessary improvements. So, uh, it doesn't seem like, well, they learned, but it doesn't seem like it's improved. Um, here, let me, let me sign it up for you since you didn't hear. Uh, basically, Fanbyte had some sources, um, a journalist at Fanbyte who has connections and is known to have connections has some sources that Nintendo was and maybe still is trying to figure out what to do for a 1 2 Switch sequel. So basically, the thing about 1 2 Switch is even though, for all its ho humness, it did sell 3.4 million copies. Now, granted, it was a launch title, uh, a showcase for the Joy-Con. Both things, you know, gave it early points to counteract, shall we say, the quality and depth of the final product. Uh, to your point, Angel, the things they needed to learn from. But ultimately, it was a multi-million seller. Nintendo wants to capitalize on that. So they, and specifically the internal team responsible for the game, EPD Group 4, um, looked at how to make it bigger and more elaborate. So instead of one versus one, why not make it support up to 100 people? Apparently, they took inspiration from games like Jackbox and Quiplash and decided you could use your smartphone as a controller to sort of up the whole premise of like this digital meets physical theme of the original. You know, like turn one to switch from a local multiplayer thing to a goofy, maybe perfect for streaming or for virtual video hangouts type of experience. And that, um, that in mind, they gave it kind of the awkward yet kind of self-explanatory title of everybody's one-two switch because it's accessible to everyone, not just you and one friend. Um, shout out, I guess, to the Wii's Everybody Votes channel for maybe being the inspiration for the name. I, I don't know. But they um, set up as a game show. It's hosted by a man in a horse mask named Horse because someone who doesn't know English very well thought Horse sounded close enough to host to be some sort of wordplay, I guess. I don't really know. But anyway, so far, the concept, a game show that has 100 people playing, isn't too bad, right? Like, one thing that 1-2-Switch, one thing about it that was kind of neat was how well it did highlight the Switch's capabilities. Like, you had a lot of one-on-one matches that utilized the Joy-Cons in clever ways, and it showed off the tech of the controllers, and, and it, you know, emphasized one of Switch's big early marketing points, which is a system you can do two-player with without needing two devices. So kind of taking that idea on paper and saying, well, let's just blow it out to the scale of, like, Switch Online, and let's take it to what that can provide and come up with new wacky things for people to physically do at that scale. Like, that on paper could work. The problem is, according to this leak, the actual activities were just bad. Musical chairs, spin the bottle, but whoever it lands on, you have to give a compliment. Bingo, where you had to do some weird pantomiming of digging or, like, opening up numbers or something. Like, apparently it playtested horribly. Even among families with, like, children, which are, like, the core demographic they were gunning for here, they found it so boring that in the playtest, they wouldn't even finish the rounds. So, long story short... like. Yeah, it's like, I haven't heard of any game, because usually these things don't leak, but you don't really hear that very often. And long story short, this game that was rumored to be announced in a Direct this year, uh, back in February there were rumblings about being announced in that Direct, um, is now in this weird limbo state. Like, some at Nintendo want to charge a full 60 bucks for it, which is actually more than the first game's MSRP, so I don't know what they're thinking there. But then others think, and this is exactly what the report says, others think the quality of the game is too damaging to the Nintendo brand to sell, and at most could maybe be a freebie for Switch Online subscriptions, either expansion pack or regular. Which actually, like, if they lean into the absurdity and make it free, they could, they could, if they put it on Switch Online, they could get a solid 
silly viral meme filled week or so that gives Switch Online some eyeballs just because everyone's going to be like saying how ridiculous this is. So like if they want to cut their losses, but not totally cut their losses like that, that's not a bad way to do it. But yeah, I just found it interesting um, that something of this scale actually leaked and more so that like people pe- seemed surprised that Nintendo was cooking this up behind the scenes. Like the thing that a lot of people were like, I can't believe they even did this. It's just like, I tweeted this at the time, but the development team behind it, I mentioned them before, EPD Group 4, um, they are the most left brain, out of box, wacky, weird team at Nintendo. Like they're the ones who constantly are combining like more physical experiences with gaming stuff. Labo was them. Ring Fit was them. Brain Age, you know, the idea of like, oh, you're writing numbers as a video game challenge. That was them. They're the team that consulted on Mario Kart Live and the AR tech for the cart, uh, you know, with the outside studio they worked with. Like, really, the fact that they're toying with something like this, this idea of sort of wacky physical challenges at a large scale for groups or friends or families to goof off with together, like that makes sense to me. Um, like in order to find these hits they have and find that you can fold cardboard into like a steering wheel. Yeah, there's probably dozens of weird prototypes that didn't take off. This sounds like one of them. What surprised me is how seemingly half-baked it was in its final form or close to final form. Like musical chairs, bingo. Like how how did that get through so many layers of development and marketing and approvals? Because according to Fanbyte, until those play tests where it did so horribly, the game was considered done. Boxes, cartridges, promo materials, marketing materials, all that was already printed and made and ready to go. Like, this game was on the cusp of being announced in a Nintendo Direct or otherwise. So, it, it's just such a weird... Like, to see it get that far and be apparently this bad is just such a weird situation. Um, but assuming the physical challenges were a bit more up to snuff, do you guys think there's actually potential in this? Like, as folks who do play Jackbox with, like, our larger group... Would something a little more physically wackier work? Or do you think they're like trying to make people cross a threshold that's just like like a socially awkward thing to... We're, I mean, we're hearing this. Where do you guys stand on it, I guess? I mean, it's like one of those can't knock it till you try it. And I mean, I feel like we've tried almost every type of like party game that consoles and PCs have to offer. So, no. Could potentially work. I mean, once you switch, I already kind of had you moving around a little... Mm-hmm. And that game was really fun just to bring out, you know, basically the first time anyone encountered the Switch. It's like... And then never like, again. <laughs> yeah, which is kind of a bummer because I really do like it, but yeah. And that seems like part of the yeah. problem with the sequel idea is like, how many times are you going to play musical chairs together with a smartphone? Like, mm-hmm. if you really want to play musical chairs, you could do it without the smartphone for like the last four decades. And not that many people did that. So... I don't know. I mean, Kevin, did you ever, like, I know you've done Jackbox stuff with us, but, like, would you get up and be ridiculous in front of friends if a video game made you? I mean, I've done it before. I've Fair done enough. it without a video game, too, so. I mean, <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, because the, 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 the best parallel I can come up with was, like, for where we as a, as our group got a little more, like, in the direction of what I think Nintendo's gunning for is, I don't know if you guys remember that mini game in Jackbox where you have to like pitch a product and you have to give a keynote address to oh, like yeah, the awesome. rest of your friends. Yeah. And that that's like definitely the most like analog within a digital game that I think Jackbox does. And I feel like if the crowd is there and you've got the right people and you're I mean, willing to go for it, like you, you can just give a speech and then someone. Oh, true. Like it's kind of the same thing. Kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But uh yeah. And I feel like, 
if you have the right group, like you can turn any of these into something fun because those those really depend. Like if you have a good group and everyone's into it, sure, but people are half-assing it, it's not going to work. So maybe if they find better mini games, this could work too. I don't know. This this is kind of just one step beyond some of the Jackbox stuff. So anyway, we'll we'll see what that turns into. We'll see if we ever see it. So keep an eye out for everybody's one two switch. Maybe in. 2027 who knows but anyway that's all the first party stuff that we didn't see announced uh, but let's get to what was announced let's get to what the episode was actually about welcome one and all to our first and only diy direct we'll be breaking down the games as i said at the top by presentation um the first and probably meatiest was summer game fest so imagine in your mind those little sports center style red segment banners in the nintendo direct with their one-liner headlines and this one would read the best of summer game fest because it rhymes isn't that fun? Anyway, what do you guys think of Summer Game Fest? What do you think of the presentation? Um, I didn't see the presentation. I just saw the. Oh, that's right, you didn't. After the fact. So did you? I, mean, I know Jeff Keighley was there. I hope he's doing well. Um, <laughs> this is accurate. He he was there. Um, did you? Well, uh, well, first, Kevin, what did you did you watch it live or did you just catch up later? Uh, did I watch it live? I don't. That's how forgettable it was. I don't even yeah. remember if I watched it live. Yeah, there's nothing like bit. the big finale leaked three hours in advance, which isn't Game Fest's fault. But they had this whole like, oh, Last of Us remastered, Last of Us the peak at the HBO show, Last of Us tease of a multiplayer thing that the same developers are making. But it was also like barely there. And then the one thing that had some meat, the remake, um, was leaked. And so to be fair, kind of and to be fair, they said that Summer Games Fest would essentially be comprised of stuff that we already knew yeah that is very true and even within that there and i don't know andrew if you noticed this when you're going through the list after the fact there was a theme of so many games set in isolated outer space like they want for some reason i don't know why they paced the show this way but the first third of the show was all back-to-back games set in isolated outer space like Calco Effect, um, Alien, uh, Routine, which that's a weird one because that was announced in 2012 and then disappeared for a decade. Um, like it was just a boom, 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 space, space, space. It was, we could probably write a whole dissertation on how all those games were some sort of subconscious response to the past few years on Earth and just wanting the escapism, not just from your current life, but from everything going on on the planet. But like it was a lot of space, a lot of space. Um, and on the Switch side of things, I think it's worth noting that, to be fair, like they, compared to last year's first attempt at a Summer Game Fest presentation, there was a lot more balance in which platforms were represented. Like, Switch had a number of games shown. Um, although, weirdly, the vast majority were extremely short-term. So we saw Fall Guys, which you know comes out on the 21st, like on Monday. Uh, Neon White was out this past week, and that was highlighted. Cuphead has this DLC at the end, end of the month, and that was highlighted. Which, you know all seem fun cool whatever um but the biggie for sure and probably the star of our entire diy direct because it popped up in almost every single presentation the entire two weeks uh was teenage mutant ninja turtles shredder's revenge which was finally dated it's now finally out and almost like our diy directs version of a nintendo direct shadow drop you know we're talking about the game with impressions, because Angel, you went from saying you weren't into the old beat 'em up turtle games to mentioning the other night that you sunk some time into this one. So, a, what happened there, and b, how is it? Nothing changed. Uh, when I said I wasn't into 
beat him up turtle game that still wasn't it was just more like a you know when you're a really big fan of something sometimes you have like certain obligations and you just get these games anyway but twice but, in your case or no three times how many, how many copies do you own let's let's <laughs> before we get to the impression don't you and between I you and Elvis have like right now none but um we did get the collector's edition from limited run games and the collector's edition from signature edition games the other one being like the european company which mm. is the one that's finally gonna be shipped first as in soon and limited run games well notoriously we probably won't be seeing it until sometime next year but yeah like I don't know. Beat em up game. Well, it's funny because my brother and I are kind of bummed that turtles are kind of stuck in this genre, or that's like a defining genre for them, and that's just what we get all the time. But you know, there there have been, I guess, games you could call beat em up that I've enjoyed before, especially from the turtles, since we would say that the two thousand era games, the three D ones by Konami, were really fun. And it makes sense. Konami made the original arcade game, so you would think they they know how to pull out. I mean, yeah, bust out like a quality beat em up. But my biggest problem with them is just that usually you don't get a lot of defensive options, and that's you know makes sense in an arcade setting. You want people to lose a bunch of quarters, so you want them to die no matter what. And the inevitability of getting hit was always one of those things that just kind of damp you put a damper on the experience and thankfully Shara's Revenge has you know it has a roll so you have a dodge so at the very least you have some agency over whether you're getting hit so you know if you get hit it's your fault it's not necessarily the games and you know it's fun um, but unfortunately I think five minutes in ten minutes in while I was still having fun um I was starting to already feel like limited because you only have, you know, the one combo and I don't know. I, I just have a weird relationship with beat em ups. Like, I'm enjoying it so far. Maybe once I play more of it with my brother, I played it with a coworker. Um, I'll enjoy it more. I mean, I, but I don't know. It thankfully, the we did play in the hardest difficulty and you definitely do feel a challenge, but. Uh, maybe I need to see it more as like a party game, but I don't know. It the genre gives me weird emotions. I need to <laughs> feel. I need to take like a long walk and like reflect on life. That, that was gonna be my question because you mentioned like party games. Like, how are you playing? Because like the game, one thing they announced, I think it was Summer Game Fest, is the game actually supports six player online. So I'm thinking like there can't be a whole lot of strategy or deeper thought if you're you and five other people are all on the same screen at the same time being a Whatever wave it seems number chaotic. of like I, saw, it is. like I saw a video with six players and it looks like you can't even really tell like where your character is half the time. But yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, that obviously looks fun in general. And obviously, if you're playing with that many people, it's more just to like, you know, just throw a game on to mess around. So right, you know, right, it should work in its favor. And obviously, looking forward to trying that. But and you know, at the end of the day, it is. A quality Ninja Turtle game. The soundtrack is amazing. Also got the vinyl. The visuals are amazing. The touch to detail is amazing. Like it's, it hits all the right notes everywhere. And I mean, I'm sure if you're a beat 'em up aficionado, you could probably say more to 
the gameplay, but you know, I'm enjoying it and I feel like that already said a lot since it's normally I would just be immediately bored of it with a typical beat em up. But yeah. Yeah, it does seem like it was made with love and care for the past how long has it been? This is now seventeen months or something crazy. So, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I mean, because I'm not a big trophy, but I can like see the passion in it, watching the trailers and stuff. Oh yeah, and like the little attention to like long. background animations of characters and whatnot. Yeah, um, yeah. I guess you have to report back how it is with online. But um, while while we're on the topic of of retroy things, you have a controller you want to talk about too, right? You got an eight bit eight bit though, didn't you? Yeah, I can't believe I finally got one. But for those that don't know, Apido is basically like a... They've been notoriously known for making, I guess I'd call it like good quality PC controllers. And the main reason I got this one is just to have a death controller for my Switch and my PC. Something that I could just like flip between. And while I can and did used to use a regular Pro Controller... You know, in this day and age when you can just, you know, link your AirPods to one device, put them on, automatically works, and then maybe you put that other device to sleep and I wake up my iPad and it automatically connects to those without doing anything. Mm -hmm. Just having incredibly easy convenience that just works is something that, you know, once you go there, it's kind of hard to go back. Oh, totally. And, and having to rethink the Switch Pro, the Switch Pro controller every time I want to go back to the Switch, it's kind of annoying, or like yeah, it just like starts to get really annoying. And it's kind of it's totally a first world problem because you know it takes you know like maybe thirty seconds to whether you're going from PC to Switch or Switch to PC to go to Bluetooth, select the target, wait for it to sync, and then you're good. I love that this one I could just flip well sync it once to each device flip a switch and it just automatically goes to the other one so basically it never unsyncs it because it has like four different memories like one for your android for ios for windows and for the switch but on top of that you know it has the form factor of i guess you could say a dualshock 4 you know it has the handles it has the two analog sticks on the bottom instead of asymmetrical but yeah, it's comfy, feels good, and so far it's been. Is really the build convenient. quality good? Like that's always the thing with third party controllers. I yeah, feel like back in the so, day, like, like the buttons and the and the D pad feel really good. I'm guessing, and, and this is probably why like it was recommended so highly from so many coworkers. It's almost like for almost anyone that has a PC, it's like almost like they're bound to get an eight bit do at some point. But yeah. I don't know why every time we say the name, I think of Cobra Kai. It sounds like a dojo, eight bit though. Like it sounds like one of the <laughs> one of the dojos in Cry. Yeah, exactly. It sounds it sounds like Cobra Kai or Cry Kid or something. Yeah, yeah. like a third dojo has entered the competition or something. But but yeah, glad to hear it's good. Yeah, yeah. But it's glad to hear it's good because like what I was trying to say a second ago is like Nyko and Mad Cats and all those like '90s and early 2000s controllers are what I think of when they say like third party. Uh, they're not great. And even nowadays, you have like Power A and stuff, and they're missing features. And like, you know, it, it, it seems like this is. I mean, obviously, it doesn't have like HD rumble, I assume, but like, it, it seems like it really checks the You know what? Other boxes, it has really good rumble. I don't think the HD rumble is compatible with the Switch, but when I was playing Among Us yesterday, yeah, Among Us. Um, yeah, it <laughs> I actually... had to clarify that's what you meant. 
<laughs> yeah, the rumble actually felt really good. There were some parts in the ship where I was like, whoa, I didn't realize it would actually vibrate this much. In a very, like, HD rumble-ish kind of way. So, yeah. That I will say, HD rumble has been severely underutilized on the Switch. Even Nintendo, like, that's a big thing with 1-2-Switch. If they do everybody's 1-2-Switch and they're using smartphones, even HD Rumble's dead there. Like, it's such a lost, such a lost cool feature of the system. Yeah. It's it's just... DS microphone, I feel like. Or the second screen of the Wii U. Damn. Or the second screen of the Wii U. That's a better one, yeah. But, but yeah, I guess back to Game Fest itself, unless there's anything else you want to touch on with Turtles or 8-Bit-Do. No, I'm pretty sure those that are either interested in turtles or beat 'em ups already have it. I mean, it's yeah, that. yeah. It's the people that love those genre, like love that combination, are gushing about online. Like it's checking every box for them. It sounds like so. Um, but yeah, back to Game Fest itself. One of the further out releases shown. Um, you know, we were talking about how turtles like that has your attention just because you're a fan. One that caught my eye um, was something called American Arcadia. Um, and officially right now it's coming to PC and quote unquote consoles, but it's being published by Raw Fury. You know, they support Switch pretty heavily. The game itself, even if it can have graphical bells and whistles beyond the Switch's power, looks like it could be brought in line with what Switch can actually do. So I'm going to consider this Switch bound until it's not. Um, so let's just assume Miracle K is coming to Switch and the, the premise is right up my alley. Um, especially a bit in the shared aesthetic it has with a show. I talked about and gushed about whenever we last did a random Nintendo um, Severance. Like they both do this kind of '70s retro future thing. Although here at American Arcadia, it seems to me a little further into like the colors of the era of the '70s. There's lots of browns and oranges and yellows. Severance didn't do that as much, but yeah, the whole the whole premise just seems cool. So um, you're basically this guy living in what he thinks is this perfect utopia of a city. Uh, except it's all televised twenty four seven for a reality TV show, which you know we've seen that trope before. It's nothing brand new, but you're then playing through 2.5D, I guess you could call it, platforming levels, looking to escape. Um, obviously, we've only seen limited gameplay, but the vibe of it, the like outrunning of people after you, the stealth past security cameras and the like, it all immediately kind of reminded me of uh, some indies I've tried before and talked about here on the show. Like um, Maybe it's kind of like a slowed down version of uh, Aerial Knight's Never Yield, if you remember that from a past indie world, or Perhaps more fangly, um, the gameplay of Liberated. Um, this, in a way, even in concept, actually seems like kind of a brighter, more colorful take on some of the exact themes of Liberated, which I think I talked about summer of 2020? Like, it's peak pandemic when I talked about it, but that was kind of like this side-going cyberpunky noir game um, that dealt with, like, Big Brother concepts. Uh, and this kind of reminds me of that. But where it gets interesting is I've only described a part of the American Arcadia experience separately Besides the platforming, there are full 3D first-person puzzles that involve hacking and exploration and stealth and a bunch of other stuff. And the story, too, it plays out, obviously, with your guy trying to escape. But apparently throughout the story, there's also cutscenes presented as a documentary that's interviewing other characters that you've crossed paths with or showing police interrogations. And for these, they hired a voice cast that um, you know has worked on everything from the Spider-Man games on PlayStation to Cyberpunk to Firewatch. The whole thing just seems like a cool hodgepodge of all these different ideas, all wrapped in kind of this nice sort of retro future dystopian bow. So I'm def that one's I'm 
that is one I'm definitely interested to learn more about, even if that means waiting till who knows when, since, well, one, we don't know if it's going to switch for sure, but we also have zero release date information for any platform at any point. So it's very early, but the trailer, like at Summer Game Fest, definitely caught my eye. Um, so hopefully it, hopefully it comes switch. Hopefully it's cool. Andrew, I know you also marked down, because we all kind of built a list, you marked down a multi-platform game shown as well. Although this one, as of right now, is confirmed to not be coming to Switch just yet. That's uh, Metal Hellsinger. So, or Hellsingers. There's an S on the end. Sorry. So what caught your eye here? Tell us about it. Well, honestly, just the fact that it's a rhythm game, but um, the concept just sounds cool. I want to say there was already a first-person shooter that does this exact same thing, though. Just not in a metal environment. And obviously... Yeah, that was called... uh, Bullets per minute. Oh, that's what it was. Oh, BPM. Clever, clever. I see what they did there. And this one, you know, just like, it's basically like if Doom was a rhythm game. And, you know, the concept just, just sounds fun. Like the other one did. Just never got around to play them. But it makes me wonder what other genres are left to turn into rhythm games. Because, you know, between this, you have Crypto the Necro Dancer that basically turns your top down adventure game into a beat em up. I mean, into a rhythm shooter. But neither. But as much as I tried to love Crypto Necro Dancer, I also couldn't really get into it. I mean, I bought it, I played the first level, and I don't know. It just didn't click the way, you know, um, Just Shapes and Beats or Rhythm Heaven or I don't know. Maybe there's still another genre that needs to be explored. Maybe art. No, I don't know about an RPG. But yeah, I guess we would have to see. It, it's funny that you're saying like it's basically like Doom because it really like watching it really it felt like Doom like Doom and Doom Eternal obviously you know they weren't music or rhythm based but like those heavy soundtracks the the feeling like I remember when I played Doom back on the Switch when it first came out like there you could get in a zone and it feels like you were playing to a rhythm at that point when you're running and gunning so having the rhythm actually oh, yeah, work you actually like, had a, that game I do. And having the rhythm, like, actually now be, exist in a gameplay sense, and, like, stuff like, you know, when I was looking it up, they're saying, you know, as you stay on beat and do more, like, the music will add more layers and build out to a full song, like, that just feels like such a logical progression of what Doom was doing. Um, so yeah, it's a really cool concept, and, and they got, like, it's a cool enough concept that you know it's a cool concept, because they got a bunch of mu- real, like, big metal people on board to make the music for it, so, like, I saw on the list there's, like, a, Surge from System of the Down was doing stuff, and Lamb of God was doing stuff. I think they have like nine, ten artists in total, which we we can link to on the blog post for anyone interested. But um, yeah, it's it's a it's a very cool concept, and I think you're right, Angela, that like merging rhythm into other genres. It's just a matter of time until people get more and more creative with this um, racing game. You know, some sort of like Outrun or Spy Hunter or something that's a little more like on a track. Um, with as a rhythm game, like you know, we saw that way back in the day with Audio Surf. If you remember that on PC, maybe there's something there to elaborate on. Who knows? But yeah, I think I think the fact that people are trying to get more experimental with rhythm games is really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, the game's only downfall, honestly, from a Nintendo fan perspective, is that uh, it right now it's not coming to Switch, but I suspect it never will because the game's being hyped as running at 120 frames per second. It's primarily a next-gen game on PS5 and Series S and X. Um, they could, in, in theory, scale it down to Switch, a la Doom or Doom Eternal, but 
it's kind of new terrain here, um, you know, in terms of like what to expect because up to this point, we've had cross-gen games, which they were able to scale down. But this one isn't even that. This is strictly next-gen. So I don't know if we'll ever see it on Switch, but it's definitely an interesting game that could have a ripple effect for things that then come to Switch, for sure. But but yeah. Um, anything else you want to say about Metal Health Slingers? Um, no. Well, I can't say it's a game I'm probably going to buy. I mean, at least I cut my ear. And your eye. Your and eye. Uh, but but uh, I think unless Kevin, there was something from Summer Game Fest that you didn't put in our little master list before we record. I think that might be it for the Summer Game Fest segment. Is that possible? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it was. For, I guess it was so. Um, so I guess I mean, now it's time. Protocol looked cool, but that's not gonna switch. So yeah, yeah. But I mean, yeah. And there's no way that's coming to switch like at all. It was interesting how Dead Space, which, you know, is a heavy inspiration for it because it's the same original development team. It was interesting how Dead Space was referenced like three times in that presentation. We went from Dead Space being a dead franchise for like, a what, nearly a decade to three different references in three different games. Like, it's having a moment. Isolated space again, I guess. Um, but yeah, I guess that does it for Summer Game Fest. So now it's time for some, oh, here comes the cheesy Nintendo Direct style headline, some marketing madness from Devolver Digital. That's two alliterations in one sentence um do you guys typically watch the devolver digital presentations typically don't ever no sorry no because the games usually look exactly the same well so you're missing out never mind the games themselves but you're missing out on just a fun show like ignoring how many or how few or how similar a game may look I, I think like even this year there are only four games total in a twenty five minute presentation, and one of them was already out. One of them was Card Shark. But if you ignore that or just don't care about the games, like the Devolver team just does a really good job of like poking at the industry and recent trends. It's almost like a South Park esque level of topicality and timeliness. Like they've done past shows that you know center around like loot boxes, the need or not need for conventions. Like I think it was a few years ago, they literally made a first-person free marketing simulator you could download called Devolverland, where you went and explored an off-kilter version of the LA Convention Center and had to, like, find all these artifacts for their games and trailers and stuff. Um, like, they really, like, the marketing of this stuff is super fun. And this year's was actually maybe my favorite so far, even if it was scaled back from a straight-up, like, first-person game. Um, but this year it started pretty innocently. It was... Um, they're basically lampooning countdown videos, which maybe isn't the most timely or pair, you know, of parodies or whatever. But then they had Suda51, as in the actual Suda51, uh, the developer, the guy. He was playing the role of a countdown robot of sorts. Uh, and as the presentation goes on, you start realizing they're actually like tying in broader jokes and references about the metaverse and all the big acquisitions of late. And I'm not going to really spoil anything, but like the presentation's literally a self-contained comedy show with like a plot it's 25 minutes long it's like watching a sitcom except they just interject a few trailers in it um and honestly i i thought the, sh- the show had some good games i they were not same samey this time around um to your point kevin like the one that instantly shot my list is the plucky squire uh which is coming to every platform you can think of switch no, included pretty cool yeah, so the game, for those who haven't seen it, um, like, gameplay-wise, it does seem relatively straightforward. Let's, let's be fair. It's, it's an action platformer. You play as this hero named Jot, who's just got a little sword and is fighting various monsters, and it all takes place initially inside a storybook with appropriate enough storybook-style art and whatnot. 
uh, except a little way into the trailer, suddenly Jop pops out of the book and is now walking on the photorealistic desk the book was just sitting on. And then he's using a coffee mug's art as a rotating 2D platforming stage. And then he's suddenly walking in like 2.5D or so into the screen, knocking Emmys off the shelf. And then he's suddenly jumping with a jetpack off the desk into a set of what looks like toys or something down on the floor. And it all just looks super well done, super fun, like super like Toy Story meets Chibi Robo in scale. And the eccentricity of everything going on outside the storybook also is kind of in the book. So when you're, you have the 3D world stuff, like real world stuff, and then back in the 2D storybooks, they were showing stuff like a boxing match with a badger that looked like a punch-out reference um, in gameplay. They had some hack-and-slash adventure segments. There are parts where you're literally completing sentences in the book by like filling in missing words, like taking them and tossing them in. It just looked really creative and varied and diverse and fun. And then after the presentation... I saw that the creator is just as interesting as the game itself. It's a guy named James Turner. And you may not know his name, but I guarantee everyone listening to this and you two know his work. He is the first Westerner to ever design Pokemon. He started with Shadow Lugia and Pokemon XD, which, okay. But he very quickly uh, started making entire evolutionary lines of his own. He's the guy responsible for the ice cream Pokemon, uh... Vena Lit Light or whatever her name is and since Tea, the teacup Pokemon and that evolutionary line like he did that and he worked his way up through Game uh, Game Freak and ultimately was the art director for Pokemon designs in general for Sword and Shield he was the Pokemon design art director and he also directed both Harmonite and uh, Tembo the Badass Elephant plus served as the art director uh, director for a game I love the aesthetic of Pokemon Trozy back on the DS so dude's got talent in terms of creating compelling art styles, which, you know, the storybook aesthetic of Plucky Squire has. Uh, and in terms of directing unique platformers, he has the pedigree too, like Harmonite, Tembo, now Plucky Squire. It looks to be like kind of the next in that lineage. So honestly, of all the games shown these past few weeks, like this right here is the one as far as I'm concerned. Like 100%, this is the game that I'm probably the single most interest in. It looks cool, but also just the pedigree behind it is cool. So... That's one we're keeping an eye on, I'd say. Um, but in a totally opposite direction. Different, yeah, unique vibe entirely. Hmm? I would describe it. Just a very clean. Very clean. clean. Yeah. Yeah. Super yeah. Clean. So you saw the trailer too then. Yeah, it, it's really clean. Yeah, I didn't watch um, the presentation, but I, I caught up on the trailers at least. Right, right. Um, so well, well, I know that explains this next thing because you, both of you flagged this one, as did I. Um, totally different vibe and a totally different direction. Skate story. So who wants to try and explain? <laughs> who wants to try and explain what Skate Story is? Because it's it's a unique premise, kind of. No, it just looks very chill to just play. It's like, it almost looks like you're playing like a very trippy looking visualizer. I yeah yeah that's a, that's kind of a good way to put it. Um, to mess around with, even if I'm not exactly even looking forward to just like progressing the story, whatever it is, because I don't really get yeah, what it's I, supposed to be. So the official logline from what I've gathered is that you're a demon made of – and this is how they say it in the trailer – made of glass and pain. Okay. Uh, and you want to be freed from so the like underworld. Kind of game. <laughs> but yeah, um, basically you get – you want to be freed from the underworld. And in order to do it, you made a deal with the devil that you could success, successfully skate to the moon. And I think I read this correctly last night, but I was putting this together kind of late. Apparently if you make it to the moon and then swallow the moon, you're free to uh, – live on with your life and be free of your glass and pain so that's the premise you're trying to get to the moon and eat it as a demon 
But um, I am very curious to see how it actually plays, to, to your point about, like, how chill it looks, Angel. Because, like, skateboarding games in general have so much more variation now compared to the days of only, like, Tony Hawk or Skate. Like, you know, it used to just be differences in controls, but you're always in, like, an open environment going for a high score or whatever. Yet, I don't know, something like Ollie Ollie turned skateboarding to just, like, a new way to travel through more linear levels, like 2D side-scrolling or stuff like Downhill Jam back on the Wii made it, like, a racing game with, with skateboarding elements. And... What I thought was interesting with Skate Story is I got the sense that it is on some sort of linear path here. Like, it shows a lot of situations where your demon can only go, like, one way, either over a bridge or through a tunnel. And the story's about skating towards a destination with the moon. And even in the more open-looking spaces, I don't know, it just they didn't, they didn't look that open. And there's no visible score system thus far either. So I'm kind of curious how structure's going to be. If it's something like, I don't know, a slightly wider open Sinar Wild Hearts, for example. Like if you're, you know, you're constantly moving in a given direction or general area, but you have freedom of tricks and movements within that. Like I'd, I'd be for all that. Or, or maybe it's like you have a little more free reign, but it's still a set path, like a skateboarding version of, I don't know, Mario 3D World, where you have these small spaces just move from one to the next. Like that could be cool too. But I don't know, like is there, I, I, I guess the thing that probably caught all of our eye was really just how it looks. Like you were saying, Angel, it kind of has that very unique aesthetic to it um it's I, I don't even know how i would describe it like it's almost for those who haven't seen the trailer well one go watch the trailer but i don't know it's like sophisticated it's like realism but just enough surreal color and particles like, and effects to kind of give it like a hip upside down vibe like it's like if uh, res wasn't just like wireframes and actual like planes like yeah but then there's like all these little like flurries of like skylines and like traffic, like street lights and roads that have really real textures and like it's it's yeah, it's such an interesting like hodgepodge. It's really cool. It looks really cool. And the and the demon himself is full of like reflective glass because he's made of glass, so it's like all these little rainbows and little moving lights and stuff. And if I had to go with my gut, I'd say that reflective effect on the demon himself, like how those rainbows go every which way. And the, plus the lighting effects on the environments because there's some really nice lighting. And probably how he shatters into pieces whenever you mess up a trick. Um, I would guess those are going to mean this thing never comes to Switch. But man, do I want it to come to Switch. Even if they dumb down some of the visuals like a little. like I, I, It would be really cool to just like curl up with this and play it. But I don't know. Um, That's what it is. Yeah, exactly. I, I will say regardless of what you end up needing to play these games on, like Devolver Digital is in a spot right now where they could really use the support. Um, a story came out of Europe, which is where their stock is traded, that I think maybe days after this presentation, like literally within the week of this presentation, um, their stock's value lost close to half. It went from like 139 to like 55 or something. Um, and that was, or so more than half actually, that'd be more than half. But uh, yeah, it. I guess they announced in a, financial call that they had to lower their sales expectations for the first half of 2022 and then it just went down from there and i feel like well obviously not every game by every publisher can be a smash hit like to me even though a lot of games have a kind of samey vibe with some exceptions like the two we just mentioned um i feel like they're that devolver digitals and sort of in my mind shares a similar space like annapurna interactive like they both have a really good knack for finding and bringing to market certain types of indie games um different types mind you but they each have their 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 lane so to speak 
And not every game's going to resonate with every member of their audience in the same way, but there's a certain like level of quality, a certain type of experience. I, I feel like a Devolver digital logo or an Annapurna logo, it just indicates you're getting something good. And I feel like Devolver then goes that extra step by just having so much fun with their marketing and being like wacky and weird and doing their and doing their weird presentations. So like in this not to get on like a too much of a high horse here, but in this era of like mass consolidations where even there are reports of EA looking to sell to a bigger company, it just feels like if there's a game that catches your eye by these smaller guys, just find a way to play it. And I know I'm the only one that only has one console, so I'm really talking to myself here. Like I know you two are multi-platform guys already, but like honestly, I want to find a way to give them money for Skate Story. Like keep allowing myself the opportunity to see these weird, unique games and have access to these from you know, not just the ones we saw, but elsewhere in the developer presentation, they had one called Action Foot, where you literally just kick down doors in first person. Or there's Cult of the Lamb, which like puts fuzzy little woodland creatures in a satanic cult. Like, you know, not everyone's told you we to... can build you a computer. Yeah, like maybe for Skate Story, maybe I'll do it. It's a shifting market, especially with stuff like Game Pass. So like speaking with my wallet where I can, I feel like it's now really important because I don't know if something like Skate Story necessary would get picked up. I think Plucky Squire would, but would Action Foot get picked up? I don't know, but Devolver's there to do it, and Aperna's there to do similar. So, like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of thinking, like, I should just find a way to support Skate Story because it just looks really cool and also to signal that, like, I want more of this. So, anyway, stepping down from my high horse there, I just wanted to say that for a sec. Um, but I did mention Game Pass. So, fittingly, speaking of Game Pass, we're on to the next segment of our DIY Direct because literally that's all there was. From Devolver Digital, it was only four games. Unless there's something about Skate Story you guys want to say that I didn't give you a chance to say. No. Just said it's a interesting looking game. Yes, okay. So, so yeah, on to the next segment then. Um, in which we will be... Why did I decide to do these dumb headlines like a Nintendo Direct? Anyway, this one, we're checking the Xbox box. There you go. Uh, because surprisingly, there were multiple pieces of news in the that Xbox. That horrible. And- I know, I know. I mean, let's be that fair. Have you seen? Have you seen the Nintendo Directs? They're not much better. Um, I mean, but yeah, you know what I'm trying to do, Kevin? To it, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm trying to do. Not much better. I'm trying to cram better. in. I'm trying to cram in as many of these dumb, quippy wordplay things as possible because I know when Ram Nintendo evolves into its next form, I don't think my punny tiles are going to make the cut. So um, I'm, I'm really stuffing them in while I can. It's like a, it's like, um, when you have to like evacuate or something and you just grab everything you can on the way out. Like, I'm just, it doesn't matter what the quality is. If I can grab it, if I can say the pun, I'm doing it. So, checking the Xbox box. I'm going to own it. Yeah, I'm owning it. But, uh, surprisingly, yeah, the reason we're talking about Xbox is there were multiple pieces of news from the Xbox and Bethesda showcase that pertain directly to the Switch. Um, so first of all, did you guys, I think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask, did you guys actually watch any of Microsoft Showcase that Sunday morning, get up early, get some popcorn or a coffee, and just sit down and watch? Nope. What did I do? Did I watch it? Did I watch it? <laughs> I, I love how you don't, don't even know. I watched it. I, I know what got like announced and stuff like that, but I don't yeah. remember if I actually watched it while it was happening. It was... I feel like it got... You know what I think I did? It, it, yes, I, I thought... was watching it with uh, Jeff Gerson. Ah, that's a good way to do it. Like a co-stream. Not like yeah, actually with him, but... No, I know what you mean. Oh, you didn't just go... He didn't leave Giant Bomb. You're like, cool, now I can befriend him. And you just went to his house? 
You didn't do yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, um, I feel like... Well, what well, what do you think of it, Kevin? I mean, if you're watching it with Gertzman, what did you and Gertzman, what did you and your pal Gertz, <laughs> what did you make of it? Like, did, did you think it was a good showing or not? It was okay, I guess. I mean, yeah, I mean... Uh, it was missing it was some right. AAA stuff. Sure. Like... I feel like I got a lot of flack for not having just boom, 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 here's all these big titles that we've announced in years past that are still in development, which, you know, Nintendo learned that with Metroid and Bayonetta and stuff. Don't announce your games too far in advance or else people will be disappointed when they don't show up for three years in a row. Um, but I actually thought the variety of games and the genres on display were really nice. Like, they had something for almost every genre, plus completely different takes within genres, too. Like, you know, how Forza had, like, its simulation motorsport, but then, like, 10 minutes later, here's some fun arcade Hot Wheels stuff in Forza Horizon. Like, even as someone, like, outside the Xbox sphere, so to speak, like, I enjoy just seeing the the breadth of the stuff they're showing, like, the, the variety, the diversity. Like, it, and it's all coming in the next 12 months, which is, again, there's nothing, there's no heavy hitters, but there's not, there's just, like, nice variety. Um, so, yeah, I didn't mind it. It was definitely, like, I think also them minimizing talking and just doing game, 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 game worked really well for them. It was apparently the most gameplay they've ever shown in an Xbox conference. So that also kept it kind of going at a nice clip and it didn't linger too much. Um, but one of those games in the next 12 months, I think we just have to mention in passing, was Hollow Knight Silk Song. Uh, wow, I said that weird. Hollow Knight Silk Song. There we go. Um, that 12-month window we just got is the closest we're probably ever going to get to a release date for quite a while. So I very much do not look forward to all the comments on Nintendo's eventual direct demanding a proper release date as if that Xbox trailer never happened. But yeah, Silk Song, we now know before summer 2023 it will be out. So everyone can be quiet, hopefully, but won't be. But um, anyway, in terms of new stuff announced for Switch, um, I'm not going to lie, I'm kind of into Minecraft Legends. You guys paying attention to this one? Did it move the needle at all when you were watching, Kevin? Not at all. <laughs> Yeah, um, so like you, normal Minecraft. Uh, yeah, same here. It was, it was just like, okay. It's weird because I'm, I'm the opposite. <laughs> I'm the opposite of you. Yeah, I'm weird about Minecraft. Like, the core game never really was my cup of tea because it was kind of too open-ended for me. Like, as you guys have heard me say ad nauseum over the years, like, more often than not, I like some structure in my games and maybe a dash of linearity. But at the same time, like... I, I did have fun playing Minecraft Dungeons. Uh, like, when we went through it, Angel, when when us and a couple of other friends played it, like, I had a really good time. Like, first of all, the whole voxel look of the series has always been super cool to me, so being able to go into a game that let me go into that world but had that structure with its set dungeons to explore and stuff like that, I feel like that gave me the chance to, like, actually, like, dive into Minecraft. And what was also nice about Dungeons is because it's a Minecraft tie-in, they wanted to make it more accessible to that larger player base. So the game itself is kind of streamlined, like a streamlined take on a dungeon crawler, which, again, more my cup of tea. Um, really, really, I think what's happening on a broader scale is Minecraft is to Microsoft becoming what Mario is to Nintendo. So it's an opportunity to present different types of genres, different types of games, all under this one brand that basically signifies it's being done in a more accessible, more digestible, casual, friendlier way. So my hope assuming that holds true, is that Minecraft Legends gets to apply the same concepts of what they did, well, I thought they did so well with Dungeons, to the real-time strategy genre, because that's the new terrain they're entering here at Minecraft Legends. And um, judging by the footage, it, it kind of seems like it. Like, you seem to not have a bird's-eye view of the battlefield, but almost you're, like, amongst the units yourself as a single character. So even right there, I'm getting Pikmin vibes. Um, 
I'm getting the impression that like, yes, maybe you could send others to different places, but the main focus is on you and your immediate surroundings, which sounds again, kind of like a streamlining of a genre that, um, is kind of my, what I'm looking for. And also they describe the game as an action strategy game. So it definitely implies that there's a little more boots on the ground, like action, <laughs> for lack of a better word. But they've uh, also talked up, you know, being able to battle alongside or against your friends, which again, if I were to draw some very loose Pikmin parallels, like co-op and competitive modes are some of the best parts of those games. So I can certainly see us for one of our weekly game nights or something doing like co-op Minecraft strategy raids or whatever, the same way we did dungeon crawls. Um, I don't know. I mean, obviously it's too early to say just what to expect. Game's not coming to Switch till 2023 from my understanding. Uh, but I was a little surprised by how into it I was when I was watching the trailer. Like when it, when it started, I was like, oh, okay. But then the more they show, I was like, oh my God, it's Minecraft Dungeons, but in a slightly different genre. So um, yeah, so we'll, we'll see what it turns into. But I was pleasantly surprised by my reaction to it. Um, the other big Switch relevant announcement from the Xbox Showcase also has a big multiplayer angle. Actually, the whole thing is multiplayer, it turns out. Uh, Overwatch 2, or more specifically, the news that Overwatch 2 is going to be a free-to-play game when it launches on October 4th. And, and immediately, like, before I even ask you guys, like, that that piqued my interest. Like, I know I won't be good at Overwatch, so I'm never going to pay for Overwatch. But if I can just dip in and out for free like I did for Apex Legends or I'm about to do for Fall Guy this week, Fall Guys this week, um, yeah, I'm all for that. But does does it move the needle? I know, uh, Kevin, you were big on Overwatch at one moment in time. Did this change anything for you? Learning, you know, you know, no loot boxes, battle pass, cosmetic store, seasonal events. Not, Where, where's your head at with it? Not really. Uh, how do I explain this? Overwatch Two was. Their big thing is this is this PVE aspect of it, um, and I have never really enjoyed any of the seasonal PVE content that they've done for the game. the The only one that I've ever liked is like the wave based mode. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, what like? Didn't you like the Halloween one? The, yeah, that uh, one. Yeah, that that one was really good. But the other stuff, like, no, I've I've never been a fan of those. Uh, I know. I know my other friends who play Overwatch really do like those PvE modes, but and then like seeing some of the like early gameplay of the PvE stuff too, I just thought it looked incredibly, incredibly weak. Like that, unfortunately, I don't think that game can do PvE in a satisfactory fashion the way like let's say a Call of Duty would. Obviously, they're completely different games, but like seeing Reinhardt mowing down like six enemies on the field just there's nothing there that that looks or feels fun to me mm. so mm-hmm. going to the PvP aspect which is you know Overwatch's bread and butter now being free to play that's cool for those that haven't that just want to try Overwatch but as someone who was in there for a long time there's nothing about Overwatch 2 that makes me think any... There's nothing about Overwatch 2 that I've seen that makes me think like, oh, yeah, th- I'm exa- I'm I'm getting back into it. It looks exactly the same. I know that's... I know that's not true. There's, there's a difference here or there, but... 
there's well, nothing I mean, to your point. I've seen that. Yep. To your, I was gonna say to your point, like it is the same intention, right? Like, because wasn't one of the ideas originally that Overwatch One and Overwatch Two players can play each other? Like, it's almost like a weird expansion, which yeah, a exactly. lot of people go, "What is the two for?" Yeah. So, so there's literally nothing there for me. So, how does that work then? I mean, obviously they've transitioned games from paid to free to play before. I mean, Knockout City just did it, Rocket League did it, Fall Guys is doing it on Monday. But like among shooters, like the only one I could think of was Destiny to Destiny's two, Destiny two's uh, free to play, or not even Destiny. Sorry, within Destiny two, they went free to play from a paid game to a not paid game. Was that smooth? Like, are, are they basically boxing out the Overwatch one guys and saying like, listen, if you want to do the free to play, you might as well just download the new game? Like, are they actually? Do you think they're forking it? Even if, though I, if I remember saying... correctly, what, if I remember correctly, what they're doing is everybody who has Overwatch one automatically gets upgraded to to. Uh, to Overwatch 2. Oh, interesting. I do know they're doing a Founders Pack as well for those people. Um, so basically, they're that's interesting. So they're kind of, originally they're like, you could just keep playing Overwatch 1, and now they're like, just kidding, you're all going to move to Overwatch 2. So they're basically sunsetting everybody. I think everybody's moving to Overwatch 2. Interesting, because yeah, originally that was not the intention. So that's that's very interesting. Um, originally it was going to be cross I may be wrong, but then again, like this whole thing has been a huge cluster. Yeah. It's yeah. been a huge, like, you know, I mean, honestly, from a the perspective of someone that's not as familiar with Overwatch, separating them like this, and even from Activision Blizzard's perspective, I'm sure, separating it, going free to play and saying, okay, here's the difference between Overwatch 1, it was a paid game, it's wrapping up, we'll move all you to Overwatch 2 if you want, but this is a separate game, a separate download, a separate, you know, battle pack, like, it kind of makes more sense than the weird, like, we have both games running concurrently and you could play either one, but one of them has a 5v5 and one of them has a 66 and one will get PvE in 2023, maybe, like, it, yeah, it, they're basically... I don't know. I, I just, it just seems like it's a cleaner differentiation now, which is probably what they needed to do to avoid some confusion. Although on the flip side, if right now all it is is upgrading Overwatch 1 to 2, why not just call it Overwatch and do what Fortnite does and just roll out features to Overwatch? Like, now there's forever going to be Overwatch 2 instead of just Overwatch. You know what I mean? Like, they could have just like folded I said, I in stuff. I may be completely wrong on this. As I well, I mean, they're still branding it too. That's for sure happening, but... But even if they're, even if you're wrong, let's just say Overwatch 2 is just the free to play Overwatch 1. Why not just make Overwatch 1 free to play and roll in season stuff and roll out PvE for that? It's not like you need people to buy into the new game. It's free now. It well, seems because like, the, like <laughs> the PvE aspect is what they're trying to sell on everybody. But couldn't they just sell that as like an expansion within the game you already own in the shop they already are building now? Like it just seems, I don't know, it seems like they're forking it kind of arbitrarily. But, and it's Maybe almost the like they good. didn't think this through, and it almost Clearly. feels like a cash grab to everybody that plays Overwatch. That's that's yeah. in essence what's what's going on here. Every, yeah, no, everybody sure. since yeah. day one has has thought to themselves, why are they making Overwatch two? It makes absolutely no sense. The whole thing reminds me. This is a weird parallel, but the whole thing reminds me of the what Capcom's doing right now with their arcade stadium game. Um, just in terms of like weird branding confusion for no clear rhyme or reason. Um, like halfway through. Summer Game Fest, Capcom ran a promo for what they're calling Arcade Second Stadium. It's a second set of retro games. You can buy either in bulk at 40 bucks and get all the games, or piecemeal as DLC downloads. And the list, like to be clear, is good. I'm not saying the games are bad. You got like Street Fighter Alpha, you got Mega Man 2, you got Darkstalkers, even well, like Super Gem. Even in there. I mean, I, I guess I get it just because they have to compile other arcade games again. But... Well, if you only want Street Fighter no, Alpha, yeah, yeah. you can pay like yeah, two I mean, bucks you can get them for on it. The car, but... yeah. 
thing. I mean, I guess that's their Super Mario Brothers that they could just... Yeah, it, oh, it totally is. And and one thing I actually like that they're doing is the second stadium will have Super Gem Fighter and Super Puzzle Fighter 2 Turbo without the need to go buy the entire fighting collection that they're about to release. Granted, they're not going to have online, but if you just want Super Puzzle Fighter 2 Turbo like I kind of did, I don't want to pay 40 bucks for the collection. I could just get it in arcade second stadium for like 5 bucks. Um, but the thing I don't understand, and kind of bring it back to Overwatch, is... Every game can be purchased separately, right, in Arcade Stadium. Just like, you know, Overwatch 1 and 2, they you can get one one way or one the other, but why not then just release them in the same place? Like, they have a Capcom Arcade Stadium. It was already designed to be a shell, a store, wherever you want to call it, to keep buying classic Capcom games within. So why are there now two shells to buy two separate sets of games. And maybe even more confusingly, a second stadium is uh, coming out on July 22nd. Why did Capcom, to promote second stadium, offer Street Fighter 2 The Warrior's Way as a freebie to get people to download the first stadium that you then can't use to buy any of the games from the second stadium? It's so weird. It's just like, it's just as convoluted and backwards as this whole Overwatch thing seems to be. And I don't know, maybe it's because everyone's trying to figure out what the best way to turn your pre-purchased packaged games into like a service with ongoing purchases like maybe they're all still trying to parse that out a little i mean clearly <laughs> clearly overwatch is having some trouble with that but this one just seems so cut and dry that i'm surprised that capcom sort of fell into this same rut that overwatch seems to be in on a different scale of course but ultimately kind of the same problem like you have one thing and you're trying to move people to another thing where you can just expand the first thing but um yeah i don't know i guess we'll see how it all pans out obviously capcom is not gonna have the same wave of criticism that I'm sure we will see with Overwatch from its player base in due time. Um, but speaking of silly, Kevin, what did you make of Xbox getting Persona ports before the Switch? Oh, yeah, how weird. Right? Like, which three is it again? So that they're getting? I'm sorry? Which three are they getting again? They're getting uh, Persona 3 Portable. Right. Aren't they getting three different ones, though? They're getting Persona 3 Portable, Persona 4 Golden... And Persona 5 Royal. Okay, so they're getting like literally, they're getting caught up with the franchise. They're getting like the like the extended version of each of the three, right? Yeah. Isn't, yeah. So that that's interesting. But why why is it going to Xbox first? <laughs> like what? I have no idea. Those I would have never have guessed that those would come to Xbox before coming onto Switch. I just never thought that those would ever come to Xbox. Yeah, yeah, I so, think that's what threw me strange. in the loop is like it's not just like they're kind of Xbox, like there's zero established audience there for those games. And I get like, you know, it's they're on Game Pass and, and Microsoft's doing that as a play, which means they're also on PC and that means they're on Steam, I think, and that Woo. maybe means Steam Deck, so I guess you have a way oh, of playing yeah, horribly. But it's it's just so weird that the system that had Joker and Smash had spin-offs like uh, Persona Four, what was the final one? Arena, Arena Ultra, Ultra Mix, Ultimix, something like that. Ultramix. Um, Ultra Max. They had that, they had Persona 5 Strikers, just yeah, Persona that audience Q. just never gets the core games. Meanwhile, this other platform with basically zero audience is getting all three. <laughs> like, it's so strange. Yeah, um, it's super, yeah. super weird. Especially perplexing when you realize that the Switch is so, like, JRPG friendly already. I mean, next month alone, we have Xenoblade and Squares Live Alive. Like, I again, I get Microsoft want Persona and may it happen because they have like hunger and drive to diversify Game Pass and they'll throw money at it, but still like so odd. So yeah. odd. Um and while we're talking about things on Xbox we want elsewhere, Angel, you mark this game down. High on life. Explain. Not much to say. It was just just a running game. 
VR automatically makes you want to play any VR game for the most part. But it's part. not VR. It's not, not VR. VR. It's no, a first-person shooter on Xbox. Oh. Yeah. Eh, you can erase it then. <laughs> I, I, I will admit, though, I, I did think like, that... like, you know, it, it looks like... I, I played um, a little... Uh, like, a decent amount of... Um, Trover Save the Universe. And, you know, that was a... That was a fun VR game, so... It's the kind of game where, like, because it's in VR, that I'm, like, really enjoying it. If it wasn't in VR, yeah, like, the humor is still the, exactly the same, but it definitely loses a bit of oomph that just makes me, like, not as interested. And for some reason, I guess now knowing that it's not in VR kind of makes me lose interest in it. Although, <laughs> you know, the premise still, it looks fun, but, yeah, it just looks like something that'd be really fun in VR. Like, really moving those guns around up close and whatnot because they literally have faces and talk to you. But, yeah. Yeah, otherwise it's just another wacky shooter. I, I do it's like weird because that Squash they... games, like I thought like their whole thing was to do VR stuff. So here's a little background on like that. It was up until this point, I guess. It was, and then Google got involved. So I saw a story on Axios that High on Life, along with the Quarry, which just came out from Take Two, those um were actually originally Stadia games that Google was directly involved in and may have commissioned or footed some of the early development costs for. So they may have given up VR because Google threw a lot of money their way only to then back out of Stadia entirely. And then, you know, they had to shop it around for someone else. But that might that might be the origin of why it's not VR and why they broke their their usual practices. Um, But, yeah, I I do think to your point, it is the fact that the guns are talking and being quippy instead of the character. Like, you know, obviously Duke Nukem's the example of the wise cracking smart Alec in a game that became a whole thing in the 90s like it's it's, it's kind of a fun little riff on that and yeah I it, I don't think it's gonna I don't think it's gonna end up on Switch because it looks like graphically way more and I think Microsoft might be footing some of the bill for it now but um, yeah it, it seemed cool I, I kind of got why it was on your list at least at a high level but um, yeah anything else from Xbox though guys before we move to our next segment here it's a shorter segment our next one unfortunately no I wish to okay. work, but you know, too much so then, on Game Pass and all that fun stuff, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, so that brings us to our next DIY segment, which is a smaller one in terms of raw time. The Final Fantasy Anniversary Celebration Broadcast, which was a whopping 10 minutes. But it packed in a decent amount of news all about specifically Final Fantasy VII. Um, so in the spirit of the bad Nintendo Direct segment titles, let's talk about one Final Fantasy that was anything but final. Seven just keeps on going. I'm so sorry. I'm Actually, I'm not sorry. But Kevin, I imagine you must be pumped that they announced part two of the remake of Seven. Rebirth. Say that again? I'm sorry? I was saying I you must... I imagine that you must have been pretty excited for Rebirth's announcement in final, the Final Fantasy presentation. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Final Fantasy Seven Remake was probably one of my favorite games of that, that, that year. It definitely has my favorite combat system of any game in all of history. So <laughs> finally getting uh, some more footage of uh, Rebirth is really, really cool. It didn't it's show also, much, but it was yeah, enough no. to wet my whistle. And they made an interesting comment about how they want the game to be accessible for people who don't play part one of the remake, too. Like, they want you to understand coming in, that can be a standalone game. And then they announced as part of a trilogy, so there's a whole lot going on there without showing much Well, if you know the, the end of remake, uh, you would understand why it would technically be accessible. Uh, I guess it's also in the title Rebirth. Clearly something resets somewhere in here. Oh, so spoilers. That, 
Yeah, I mean, it's in the title. I'm not spoiling it. Square already did. But uh, the announcement that does more directly pertain to Switch, the only other announcement in the presentation, actually, was an HD port of the PSP's prequel to Final Fantasy VII, uh, Crisis Core. So has new music arrangements. It's not an HD port. They oh. are straight up remaking it from the ground up. Oh, I'm um, sorry, Square Enix. I, I I did not give you the credit you deserve there. But it, but it's obviously not on the caliber that you know Final Fantasy Remake is. Right, right. So, um, like, I get it's Final Fantasy Seven related, so people are excited. But can anyone explain? I guess Mary Kevin, like, why a subset of the internet was so excited? Like, pardon my ignorance here about the PSP Final Fantasy games, but what is it that makes Crisis Core special? Like, what? Why was there so much hype about this? Well, for one, Crisis Core, it's a prequel to Final Fantasy Seven, right? And right. That game was always stuck on PSP. So is the hype more about finally people have access to this that they maybe didn't before, or is the hype is there something in the gameplay? People that also really out? really like that game. Okay, is it does it use a different? Is it just straight up normal, like Final Fantasy gameplay, or is it like some spin off actiony thing? It's a it's a spin off actually. It's it it is akin to uh, Final Fantasy VII remakes uh, combat system, but oh, interesting. Okay, so in a way, Switch is actually legit getting in on all the Final Fantasy VII remake fun in a way. <laughs> okay, maybe not to that extent. <laughs> Fair. Um, but yeah, that was, those were, unless there's anything else you want to say about Final Fantasy, Kevin, those were literally the only announcements from Square Enix presentation. Oh yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, so I guess now, like any good direct, it's time to wrap up with a sizzle reel of remaining games. Um, or in this case, we each have one game from the past two weeks outside the presentations we already discussed that we wanted to highlight. So Kevin, since you're already talking, uh, what's up with Demon School? What's this game about? Uh, I I barely saw a little bit of it. it what I saw did pique my interest. Uh, it is an old school. How do I explain this? It basically just looks like one of the OG uh, Persona games. Ah, okay. No wonder. I I did look at I did look at a trailer a bit, and yeah, the art style feels very. It reminds me. Um, we. You know how, like, in our blog post, we do a list of all the, like, news for people to check out, and we link to different sites that cover it. So when I was looking this up to throw in a link to cover it, um, it took me to Nintendo Life, and they said that, like, it's like a DS game in the best way. And at first I was like, I don't know what that means. But then watching the trailer, like, I get it. Like, it has, like, that stylized pixely graphics. It has, like, more polygon polygon environments. Like, it's mixed with, like, anime-style talking heads or cutscenes. It really does, to your point, look like a mid-2000 Atlas game, like, to a T. Like so much so, yep. Um, yeah, and it's I think a tactical RPG, which again very mid two thousands Atlas. Um, I thought it was kind of funny. Is apparently when I was like skimming the Nintendo Life article, they said it's inspired by Italian horror cinema. So there you go, and it's due out sometime next year. But yeah, this is Sizzle Reel, so we could go quick. All right, so that's Demon School. Uh, unless you had anything else about it, Kevin. No, that's it. Okay, Angel, your turn for the sizzle reel. Uh, this one, this is one game you saw in the Wholesome Direct, I believe. Um, Paper Trail. Yeah, this you know puzzle game kind of remind me of like Monument Valley kind of deal, where it's all about perspective. But in this case, you have to flip pages over each other to, you know, complete the path. And these kinds of games, while I typically don't buy them right away, I definitely do enjoy them if I ever just get my hands on them. And 
I don't know. I just really like the premise. Like, it looks like it has the potential for a bunch of, like, aha moments and, you know, kind of like Plucky Squire. Like, I'm really liking this, I guess, new little emphasis on pages of a book coming to life kind of deal. Although, mm-hmm. I will say that Plucky Squire does nail that look a little better, where it actually looks like moving art from a book versus it just looks like you're looking at another screen. <laughs> But I mean, either oh, way, for this, so cool. for Paper Trail, yeah, like, like, well, Paper like, Trail Junction yeah, like, cuts it. It looked like, like from what cool. I. Go ahead. Go, for it. Go ahead. Uh, I, I think it's more of a lighting. <laughs> it's more of a lighting thing. Like in the Plucky Squire, mm. like as you're looking at the pages of the game in the trailer, it looked like you could still almost see like a glare or something from the page, where it still looks like you're playing on top of a medium within a medium. But this I one, see. like the pages, yeah. like the art, the art style is very pretty, but. The way the book is framed, like, just makes it look like, like it's like a border versus, like, the pages coming to life. But it still looks right. good, though. I just, right. you know, I, I think my plucky character is kind of, I mean, also the fact that it's kind of at an angle instead of dead on, like, also sells the illusion a lot more. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. So I think I, I think what Paper Trail, what Paper Trail might have going for is, so, yeah, it's, it's for those who don't know, basically, it's like a piece of paper on, you're looking at a piece of paper on a black background but then you kind of fold the pages over to solve puzzles um it's just like paper mario like to the next level kind of um but because you're like physically folding the paper i feel feel like there might be like a tactileness to this like if they support the switch touchscreen it is confirmed for switch for q1 next year if they support the switch touchscreen you can literally like fold pages by just dragging them around stuff like that might help make up for some of that sort of you know uh image on screen versus feeling like it's a real thing at least in in a different sense literally and figuratively so yeah it might might be cool to look out for yeah um anything else you want to say about paper trail um no i believe the fifth okay i guess that leaves me my sizzle real game is atari mania which sounds like a boring old compilation of atari games but i promise it's not it's more than that um from what i can tell from the trailer it's WarioWare meets like NES Remix meets perhaps a game we just talked about a couple episodes ago, Terror Bane, the game that's like set inside a game. Basically, it's a Atari Mania is a game about old games in which you need to play the games to save the games, but the games are all mashed up. So to put that more layman's terms, you're playing as a caretaker of the Atari Vault. You need to solve puzzles and beat these mashed up games to save the vault from a soul dead pixel that broke loose. And these games come in the form of 150 or so different micro games that will mix and match classic Atari gameplay. So in the trailer, you see stuff like keeping centipede bugs at bay with a pong ba- uh, paddle while the dragon from like Adventure or something is like lurking around. And there are references to the other games like Breakout and Yars Revenge. And, you know, at least that's why I noticed in the trailer. But as you go through all this, you gain access to remastered versions of the original unmashed up versions of the games. You gain access to art. You gain access to like scans of manuals and I quote directly from the press release here. You gain access to fun facts. And you guys know how much I love fun facts. So, like, seriously, the whole game just feels kind of, like, catered to me. Like, the fun facts, uh, but also the micro-game structure, the references, the meta, the meta aspects, the self-awareness. Like, I don't know a ton about Atari history, so I feel like I, there's some level of this I won't fully appreciate. But, like, immediately, this just seems so much more appealing than a compilation of just existing games I also haven't played that just get ported and repackaged. Like, there are a bunch of those announced these last few weeks, and no offense to them, but, like, there's a Boy a boy in His Blog compilation, there's a Konami Arcade compilation, and that's fine, but, like, this kind of riff on it is way more interesting to me. So I'm excited to check it out. It's kind of switched later this year. Atari Mania. Never would have thought that, 
you know, Tiger actually do something as interesting as this because usually they stay pretty close to their original properties as is. So something to something to keep an eye on. Um, but that concludes our little sizzle reel. And with that, I think our DIY direct has reached its conclusion unless someone suddenly has a question about Atari Mania that I probably can't answer. But I think we're done. We're uh, we're at the point no where what? No questions. Okay, <laughs> but yeah, we're at the point where like this in the direct will be where some executive is standing in front of the subtly animated white background, thanking you for tuning in, and now we're transitioning to that two second long like all black screen of teeny copyright text, which for us actually means we're at our usual end of show notes. Unless there's any other topic you want to touch about, I'm just going to launch right in to our wrap up here. Okay. Wait, what? If, do you have any other things you guys want to talk about today? Or should I just oh. go strange? All right. So, great. Next episode, definitely a biggie you don't want to miss. It'll be on July 3rd, meaning all those fireworks you're going to see the next day are actually in celebration of us. No, but seriously, uh, we're sending off the Rantel podcast in style, meaning we'll hopefully have a full Nintendo Direct's worth of news or at least a more proper goodbye than us stringing together random third-party announcements. Um, it's also where we'll give you the full lowdown on what exactly the Random Nintendo Podcast will be turning into, show name and all. So to make sure you don't miss it, subscribe to us on all the podcast apps, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, our YouTube is RamNintendo.com. You can follow us on Twitter at RamNintendo. All of those will remain active after our show transitions to its new format. So it's a very forward-thinking move for you to subscribe and sign up and whatnot if you haven't yet. And individually, we're also on Twitter, as always. I'm JSR7. Angel is Wero, W-E-I-R-O underscore O. Kevin is KVN Gomi. Um, I think that's it. So we'll see you in two weeks for the big the big blowout goodbye. Um, and in the meantime, Kevin, final word? See you next game. <laughs>